HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. Discover the best artisanal foods that America has to offer. Shop for more at manykitchens.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and uh, it's a very, very chilly day today in Brooklyn, uh, this late November. Um, So last week we talked... uh, a bit about Cheese 101. So today I'm really excited to talk about the most essential things you need to know about wine. That's the subtitle of Hello Wine, a new book out by Melanie Wagner. And she is a certified sommelier, a well-known speaker, teacher, and writer about wine based in Chicago. And she's on the line. How are you? Good. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I love the book. It's a very handy sort of pocket-sized manual. Thank you. Um, I was, you know, most of the wine books that I kind of conjure in my memory are these large uh, coffee table books with like brilliant uh, photography of vineyards and the close-ups of a grape. So, so this is actually very utilitarian, it seems. Yes, and that that was sort of that was that was by design for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I started out in the wine business knowing nothing about it, and people handed about me those. About wine, yeah. yes, or, or the business of wine, really nothing. Or books about wine. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> no, right out of college, I was a preschool teacher, and I moved to San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I was making $10 an hour and, you know, loving mm. being with the kids, but it was during the dot-com boom, and I was just barely scraping by, you know, eating ramen noodles, watching this wonderful world of food and wine around me and not really being able to participate in it mm. at all. So not your average connoisseur or food. No, not at all. Snob. And and just kind of stumbled into it because I was having a conversation with um, one of the little boys in my class, his mom, one day on the playground and I asked her what she did and she said she sold wine for a living for a distributor and she got to 
go all around the world and you know, walk the vineyards and learn about wine and talk about wine every day. And it was like bells and whistles went off and the heavens opened up and (laughs) I could hear angels singing and I was like, yes, that is the job that I'm going to do. So I weaseled my way into a job with Mm -hmm. a a really great distributor, but I knew nothing. They gave me um, basically every account that nobody else in the company wanted. It was like 400 accounts in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Half of them were Chinese restaurants. Uh-huh. And uh, but it was a great it was a great learning curve and uh, and I think those were the books that people handed me when I first started out. I think the vice president of our company you know gave me the Oxford Companion to Wine, which is an awesome book that I can totally get lost in now. Mm. But at that time, it felt like a slap in the face. It, it was mm. you know it was I didn't understand every deep. other word, so it was it was way too technical. I uh-huh. I wanted somebody to have a conversation with me. And I kept looking for that book, and I never found it. And I and I I didn't I was not at all thinking that I would be someday writing a book about wine. But, but as as my as that painful learning curve kept happening, and I had all of these moments of interaction with with really with wine snobs out there. Mm-hmm. I think I think most people would agree that San Francisco is is. The, if not the, then one of the most sophisticated wine markets in the country because you have producers coming down all the time. So I was, I was selling wine as this bumbling idiot, you know, very enthusiastic, very curious, very happy, but bumbling idiot selling wines next to people who had been in the business for a long time who were very sophisticated about it. And I, I was made fun of on a daily basis. I definitely cried, you know, more than one time. And I think I, I, I got down about it sometimes, but I always got back up, and I, I, I took that frustration that was building in me, and I started formulating my own philosophy on wine, and that is um, defending people who are just getting into it or people who've been drinking it for a long time but have feel too awkward about it to really go any further. Maybe they're kind of stuck drinking the same thing, and they don't want to be, but they're intimidated to, to ask a lot of questions or in a wine open shop. Those big or books and yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so I really you know, it's like, guys, come on, if the if the if the end game is to get everybody drinking and enjoying more wine more often, then why would you be acting like this? Right. So, or so that's kind of choose. that's kind of yeah. the the idea for the book eventually was, you know, how can I give people everything they need to know in the beginning mm-hmm. without being too technical. Editing was a huge part of what I did. You know, do, do you really need to know this in the beginning? Eh, probably not. The um, waxing poetic, like... Yeah, I know, mean, believe me, I get a little hyperbole. poetic in the wine because I'm extremely passionate about it. And, and I do think that the appeal is... I mean, the appeal for me was the romance of it. The appeal for me, I think the first time I... I really fell in love with wine. We didn't grow up drinking wine in my family, but I got to go to Italy for three months and live with my friend from college who had grown up there in this little town, Ancona, um, on the Adriatic coast. And just to be in this small Italian town and see how they cook dinner and see that dinner wasn't like, okay, everybody eat as fast as you can, and then let's get off to the next thing that we're doing. It was really the the most important part of the day is to get together right. at the table at Celebrate. night and people lingered and wine was, it wasn't an afterthought, but it wasn't the focus either. It was just always there. It was an important part of the table. It was an ingredient. 
and so that was really I was like, whoa, I really, really like this. I like this. I like what wine does. Hmm. You know, yes, it gives you a great little buzz, but also it's, you know, it it inspires conversation. And it's also communal because you have yeah. to get a bottle and share it around the table. Well, you Unless, don't always have to share your well, bottle, but yeah. Yeah, there's something I, I feel a little weird about um, leaving something, you know, a, a bottle if I drink it by myself half open or not mm-hmm. sorry half full and is that okay by the way if i take a red wine and put the cork back in should i put it in the fridge or sure, the counter? yeah yeah but i give fridge. a lot of practical okay. tips about um <laughs> about using wine and and yeah that's that's it's a not question as that good. i get it's that's a, a question that yeah. people feel bad about asking but they ask it everybody um at the end of class once they have had a few drinks then they start coming up with the questions that they thought were too silly to ask in the beginning but all of those are answered in the book but yes, how long can I leave a, a bottle that I didn't finish open? And that's part of that's a matter of taste. I think before I was in the wine business and was seriously evaluating wine all the time, I'm pretty sure I left a bottle on the ca- kitchen counter for maybe a week or so mm. and, and didn't really think too much of it. When I started selling fine wines to high-end retail accounts, eventually I got some good accounts, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't show a really great wine on the second day because I thought it changed so much from the first day to the second day. However, at home now, uh, I probably could could drink a bottle on the third day. But what I do is, like you said, put it in the refrigerator. Even if it's red, stop it up and put it in the fridge because that cold temperature is going to slow down the oxidation process. Okay. Good to know. So so the most uh, important question of the day, of course... um, is what do I pair with roast turkey? Yes. Okay. Well, if you were talking about roast turkey on its on its own, that'd be pretty simple because oh. you could go so many different ways. But what we're really talking about is the Thanksgiving table, right? And yes. and the smorgasbord of flavors um, that is, you know, what wine is up for that challenge? Because yeah. there's, I mean, there's I sweet, see reds. Savory. People do reds, and then but it's white meat, so shouldn't it be a white? I, I but then it's cold, so you want to drink a red? I don't know. Okay. So what I would do, what I'm going to do, I just went, I'm not making Thanksgiving dinner this year, but I, my aunt is, and so I went wine shopping with her yesterday, mm-hmm. and we bought some Zinfandels, we bought oh. some Pinot Noirs, okay. we bought some, we have a, kind of a lot of people coming, and we also <laughs> really like to drink, so we bought some Zinfandels, we bought some Pinot Noirs, and we bought some Grenache, or um, in uh, the form of Cote de Rhone. Uh, okay. Um, and then we also bought some Pink Bubbles. So sparkling champagne. You could do champagne. You, you our, just, bu- our budget did not allow for champagne you, rosé. You call so, it pink bubbles? A, yeah, well, sparkling, sparkling wines okay. that are pink. Sparkling <laughs> wines that are pink. Yeah, I mean, it's if you can afford to do something really nice, you could get a, a few bottles of rosé champagne. Um, because oh, ro- what about yeah. a sparkling red like Lambrusco? That yeah, that would be that would be really nice too. Mm. I think the sparkling wines are kind of a nice um, a nice alternative to white wine. Yeah, uh, Zinfandel though, that's a good pairing. Zinfandel, yeah, I, I picked the Zinfandel because for people who like really, you know, we got the let's face it, a lot of guys in particular who want kind of this big brawny masculine wines, the mm. kind of people who mostly only drink Cabernet. Um, I got some really high octane, by high, high octane, I mean high alcohol Zinfandels for them from California. I think we picked up a, um, a Hartford 
uh, Russian River Ranches Zinfandel and a Brown Family Estate Zinfandel. Hmm. I and never thought of Zinfandel for that. I got to try it. I haven't had it in years. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, Zinfandel, Zinfandel is intense, so you want an intense wine to be able to stand up to all the different flavors that you have on the table, oh, especially I the sweet see. stuff. Okay. And then you want a ripe wine. If your white, if your wine is too um, bitter or tart, like like a wouldn't do an Italian red wine, that would sort of get clobbered by all the stuff on the table. Okay. And I wouldn't do a Cabernet because Cabernet has a lot of tannin usually, it's too and bold. tannin, yeah. yeah, tannin is 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 uh, tannin just doesn't mesh with all the sweet stuff, especially on the table. Uh-huh. So um, so ripe. And ripe, not a lot of tannin. So ripe Zinfandel means like fruity, ripe, ripe as in okay. fruity. Yes, right. ripe tasting fruit. So I look for wines that when you stick your nose in the glass, when you taste them, the first thing you're gonna taste and smell is big ripe fruit. Mm. Yeah, that does sound re- like a really great pairing for all those sweet potatoes and turkey yeah, gray stuffing. Exactly. That sounds and great. And then Pinot, Pinot is so versatile, but I would steer you towards more New World Pinot as opposed to Pinot from Burgundy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we chose uh, some Sonoma Coast Pinot Noirs and some Russian River Pinot Noirs from Sonoma. Yeah, you know, that's it's interesting because uh, one, one section in your book talks about the the greatest division of all, actually, it's and um, that would be the difference between New World and Old World wines. And you said mm-hmm. they, they quintessentially taste different because, in general, New World wines are big on body mm-hmm. and fruit mm-hmm. um, and have lower uh, acidity. Um, and higher alcohol. Okay. They're but, more extroverted, if you kind of think <laughs> about it that way. I think that's the easy way to think about it. Old World wines, so wines made from places, you know, places that are old are places that have been making wine for thousands of years versus just, you know, a hundred or so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and those places, their wines are generally more introverted. And they're things. subtle. So, so then they're... Yeah. They're, oh, okay. So they're going to get completely beat up at the Thanksgiving table. Oh, and, and you also said they're a little bit more earthy and sort of mineral in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Rather than fruity, I guess. Yes. Very interesting. But if you think about subtle foods, then with subtle foods, those wines are a great complement. Like, I yeah, would not wanna... ever serve Zinfandel with oysters, but I would totally go to the mm-hmm. old world and break out some champagne or Sancerre or white burgundy. Huh. Um, those wines would be beautiful with oysters because they've got that subtlety as well. That's really good to know. And do you know why that is, the, the just like New World in general? Because there's so many different terrain. Um, there is. And I would say both. more and more it's becoming a little more convoluted right. and the world of wine is becoming more homogenous as our global economy increases, which is kind of a sad thing if you think about it because... I don't know. I love to open a bottle and, and know that it actually tastes really authentic. Mm. And then there's definitely a, a side of, of, of the argument that says, yeah, but if it, if it tastes good and I like it, why should I care if it tastes authentic or not? So mm. there's kind of that argument. Why do I think old world wines in general taste more subtle? Um, a lot of it has to do with irrigation and sunshine. Hmm. Believe it or not, as simple as that. So in the, in the old world in Europe, Many, many vineyards in Europe, it is illegal to irrigate. 
Oh, because so they, they if have their it own would, code if it's, So that sort, of, that sort of limits where you can plant the grapes, whereas mm. in the New World, there's no such, no such <laughs> Make rules work. about that kind of thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so you've got people planting grapes in the central part of California where you've just got super duper amounts of sunshine all the time but not grapes wouldn't water. be able yeah grapes wouldn't be able to grow there if you oh, couldn't irrigate okay so you've got basically grapes that are that are making wine that tastes like it's kind of on steroids oh, compared to the wine gosh. from the old world that makes so much sense huh and, and but also um you know new world wines are newer the vineyards haven't been around for as long yeah um, so is that part of the difference? I think that's part of it when you talk about the earthiness and the minerality that you can sometimes taste in wine because mm. old vineyards um, grape and grapevines that are old, <laughs> the old guys, um, they've had longer to plant deeper roots. And also if, yeah. they, didn't, if they don't have irrigation, they have to, their roots have to dig really deep to find water and thus they're pulling up the the theory is that they are with their deep roots they are pulling up the trace elements and minerals that you would find in the subsoil. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's why is, if you taste true yeah. champagne, you typically taste chalk in your champagne or Chablis is the same thing. Chablis the Chablis region is, of France is very close to champagne and uh, you get a very chalky minerally flavor out of those wines. Oh my gosh. And the, their soil is made of chalk. Well, I'll have to look out for that with uh, New Year's Eve. Um, so, obviously, fascinating topics. We're just going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back. Great. You are listening to Same Old, Same Old by California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network. org. You can enjoy decadent caramel brownies, hand-picked teas, and fair trade coffee, oven-roasted chicken pot pies, and so much more. Whether you're planning a dinner party, sending a gift, or just want to try something new and delicious, Many Kitchens offers something for everyone. Help support small batch producers while you discover the best in artisanal foods from across the nation at ManyKitchens.com. Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. It's the same old song, I've been singing too long, I've been singing no more. All right, we're back chatting with Melanie Wagner. She has a new book out called Hello Wine, The Most Essential Things You Need to Know About Wine. Um, so one of the essential things I would like to know <laughs> is, I, you know, I hear all these different claims uh, now and then about wine's health benefits. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one day they're saying, you know, drink a glass of red wine a day, it'll keep the doctor away. And uh, <laughs> so uh, what is the most, if any, uh, important health benefit? Well, first of all, I'm not a doctor. So uh -huh. I, try, I try not to make too many, um, you know, sweeping claims about wine and your health. But I do a lot of research about it because people do, do ask me. Yeah, I and, see it in the book, too. Yes, and, and you know, um, 
overwhelmingly, pe- people are very cautious to say drink alcohol because it's good for you because a lot of people don't drink it in moderation and then you okay. know, they're, yeah. they're, they uh, can get in trouble the, for the that. The cons outweigh. But a, little, but a little bit of alcohol, no matter the type, thins your blood. Um, it's decreased chances for heart attack. It hmm. raises your good cholesterol. Um, and, and then in red wine in particular, um, some of the good stuff like the flavonoids and the antioxidants in wine, you get a lot more in red wine than you do in white wine because red wine, the fermentation happens with the skins on. Yeah. So more, the, more, the, the juice has a lot more contact with the skins, and so you get a lot more of that in the finished wine. And one thing that I've been really interested in is this one um, antioxidant called resveratrol. Mm-hmm. which you may have heard of. And there was a, a, a scientist at Columbia University who several years ago was very curious about resveratrol, also in the heart-healthy benefits of resveratrol. And he did a study where he went into his local wine shop and he just bought a bunch of wine off the shelf from all different places around the world. And he measured those resveratrol amounts in all the wines. And he found this very strange thing that all of the Oregon Pinot Noirs had like 50 times more resveratrol than the other wines. Okay. So he was really Good. surprised and he thought, okay, there's something to be learned here. So what he eventually found out was that resveratrol is a compound that is produced by the grape when the grape feels that it is being attacked by rot, mildew, mold. And so... In Oregon, what you have is a, in the Willamette Valley especially, you have vineyards that are pretty much completely, overwhelmingly dedicated to Pinot Noir there. You don't really, sometimes you find a little Pinot Gris, a little Chardonnay, but for the most part, they are all about the Pinot Noir. So you've got Pinot Noir, which has very thin, thin skin, some of the thinnest skins of all the grapes, and you've got a damp environment. So those grapes are sitting there just, knocking up they're knocking out as much resveratrol as they can so not Hmm. making not making claims because i'm not a doctor but if you were interested in the antioxidant benefits of red wine especially resveratrol then i would say go buy oregon pinot Pinot noir very cool yeah i saw that it had like cancer preventing stuff or who knows what yep yeah and i also think that something that's sort of an an immeasurable intangible benefit of drinking uh wine red or white, is wine has this ability to connect people. And like we were talking about earlier, my experience in, in Italy for the first time when I was 20 years old, it's, it's, that, it's that feeling of, you know, it, it really does help you put down your phone, your iPad, your computer, sit down and connect with people and talk with people and feel like you're a part of something. And I think <laughs> that sometimes has more health benefits more health yeah. benefits than anything else i can think of that's so true i mean i i totally agree with that it's so funny though because i thought you were going to say they're all probiotic <laughs> so, are, they, are they actually all wines are they what probiotic <laughs> aids digestion no you know i don't know enough about that to to okay. comment on it i'm not sure i would imagine because it right. i mean wine is a living living and breathing change as well thing yeah as well it's it's it has that fermentation i don't know you're gonna make me have to okay. look that up <laughs> all right so um one thing I, I i you know when i'm in a restaurant or something or somebody offers me a wine you're supposed to taste it i kind of go through the motions and 
play that part like I'm swirling it and then I'm smelling it and then mm-hmm. I'm looking at it and um, wh- what should I be doing here? Sure. I go through a lot of the pomp and circumstance of wine and definitely ordering from a restaurant there, that makes a lot of people nervous, the <laughs> whole situation involving it. And so I go through that step by step. But basically what happens when the server brings you the bottle of wine you ordered, you want to check and make sure that it is indeed the bottle you ordered. And I have been... That's why they're showing it to you and turning yes, it this way. They're, just, okay. they're, showing, they're presenting it to you so you can just say, yep, that's the one. And you can either just nod or you can say yes or it looks good or mm. crack it open or, you know, whatever you want to say. <laughs> so then they will open the bottle and they will pour you, the person who ordered the bottle, they will pour you a tiny little sip of wine. And they will also maybe present you with the cork. Now, you don't need to do anything with a cork. You can just set it to the side. You could ask them to take it away. Mm-hmm. You don't need to smell it, sniff it, um, you know, touch it. Plug it really your ears. Tell you. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> just leave it alone. What really matters is getting your nose in the glass and taking a big whiff and smelling it. And you just want to mm-hmm. make sure that the wine smells like wine, that it smells like fruit, that it doesn't smell like vinegar or um, or dog poop or right. you know it, a basement or something it should smell like wine so mm. as long as it smells like wine then you're good to go and you can say sure it's, it's good and then the steward will start pouring for everybody usually ladies first and then he'll come back and pour you last but um the one thing that you probably want to be on the lookout for more than anything else is having a wine that's corked so there's a, a lot of ways unfortunately that a little bottle of wine can go bad and right. I outlined some of those in the book, you know, what the smell is, how to identify yeah, how it, what, I... to, what to do about corked. it. Corked, okay. So corked is sort of slang, and it's a little misleading, um, but it's corked means that the bottle has been infected with a chemical compound called TCA or trichloranosol. And a couple big problems with this. The first is that it, it infects one in every 12 bottles of wine. Hmm. So this is something that um, happens it's at the winery often, level yeah. usually, and okay. it gets in, gets in the cork or it gets in the wine. It makes your wine smell like musty, wet cardboard. Okay. And whenever I'm teaching a class, inevitably there's at least one corked wine that we have. So I always make sure I pass that around and get everybody to smell it and try to I memorize that, that smell. Musty, wet cardboard or your grandma's funky basement. Mm. Okay, but and be... I guarantee you've you've had one before. Yeah, I guess I always thought it was an old world wine then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some yeah. old world wines are are earthy smelling, yeah. but they won't smell like moldy and musty. A moldy, musty wine is one that's corked and flawed, and it should be sent back. Okay. Um, the, the other huge problem with this is that people don't, like you said, you, you didn't know what it was. Most people don't know about TCA. So they just say, oh, they don't really like that wine, and then they don't buy it again. Mm. So, will so, you get um, sick? Will you get sick from it? You will not get sick. Okay. No, many people have drunk corked wine before, and, mm-hmm. and you don't get sick. Your wine's just not going to taste fresh, and mm. you know, like the winemaker intended it to taste, which is sad. So the protocol would be then to just say. The wine is flawed. Just be confident in it. Send it back. Don't feel bad because the restaurant doesn't pick up the tab on it. The winery actually picks up the tab. And the same thing with a retail store. If you buy a bottle of wine at a store and you go to drink it and it has that wet, musty cardboard basement smell or it smells like anything else bring that you don't back. like, bring yeah. it back. Okay. Very good to know. Um, 
So just tell me, because I know wine grape varietals are, are very fashionable. Sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out. <laughs> um, what is the up-and-coming sort of rising star right now? Hmm, I don't know. I hate chasing trends. And you know what? It, it's funny because it's so hard to chase a trend in winemaking because when you plant a vineyard, you don't get good grapes growing off of your vines for four or five years. So people get in a lot of trouble doing that. I would say there's more of a return, just like in food right now, there's more of a return to heritage grape varieties. Mm -hmm. So like in Italy alone, there are 2,000 indigenous grape varieties. So I think whereas, you know, five or ten years ago, you had people in Italy who were hurrying to plant Cabernet and Merlot and Chardonnay, what what the wine industry calls international varietals, because people know those, they're easy to sell. Um, I think there's a return of respect for um, indigenous grape varietals that have always been there and make beautiful wines like Aglianico from southern Italy um, Mm -hmm. that goes into making the wines of Tarazzi. Those wines are incredible. Mm -hmm. Or, um, Or in Portugal... For a long time, it was they used all of their red grapes to make port, the fortified sweet wine. But now there's really a return to the old, old tradition of making still red wines from those grapes. And those are some of the most exciting wines that mm. I've tried in a long time. If you like Cabernet, if you like a lot of tannin and big, powerful flavors in your red wine, but elegance also, buy Portuguese still wines. They're incredible right now, and they're like a fifth of the price of, wow. of Napa Cabernet. So it sounds like uh, try to maybe go with a wine grape that has been growing in this region for a long time. It has a history yeah. in that place. heirloom grape varietals, right. if you will. Very cool. Because, yeah, there's some varieties that can, um, I was looking through your kind of cheat sheet through the different common varieties like Chardonnay. So that's that's one grape that's very adaptable to many mm-hmm. different areas, and that's why it's popularly grown so in so many different places. It's easy to grow, right? Right. In different places. Easy to grow, and it's, it's easy once it's in the winery, too. Easy to manipulate. You can make a lot of different... Styles of Chardonnay, you know, I love it when people say, oh, I hate Chardonnay, because I know what yeah, they're talking about. They're talking about one particular style of Chardonnay mm. from California that's very, very creamy and buttery and oaky, but there are there are so many styles of Chardonnay, and mm. I... I I like that challenge because anybody who says they don't like Chardonnay, I can show them a Chardonnay I promise they'll like. Wow. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's sort of a chameleon, too. And, and mm-hmm. another one which has seemed to have gotten a little bit of a bad rap that's also in that category would be Merlot, correct? Yes. Yep. Merlot yeah. is... is like a, it could be a poor victim of the whole fashion thing. In the 80s, everybody was rushing to plant Merlot because it was the popular grape. Everybody uh. could say it. It sounded a little fancy. <laughs> and um, What happened was they went to, to rush to plant Merlot, but they didn't really do a great job of it. So what you ended up with was a lot of not-so-great $8 grocery store Merlot that had no character and was basically like, oh my gosh. you know, okay, plummy sipping wine. So but maybe, nothing special. Maybe we shouldn't actually be drinking the, the next trend trendy grape wine because it sounds like then it kind of weakens the quality. Yeah, I mean, trendy, yeah, I would say stay away from trends altogether for sure when it comes to wine, but definitely always keep investigating and learning about new areas. And whenever you go to, uh, you know, you go to a small town who has really good food, ask about what their local wines okay. are as well. Great. And that's a great way to find special 
special, unique wines that, you know, are not real popular but have, have been there for a long time and go really well with foods. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a, a great place, a um, great tip to end on. Um, and that's Thank about, you so much yeah. for featuring the book. I, I hope that, you know, I hope that Hello Wine inspires people and it, it empowers them and makes them feel smarter and more comfortable with wine and, and helps them want to keep learning forever and ever because wine is this big, beautiful thing and the learning never ends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, for me. So check out Hello Wine out from Chronicle Brooks by Melanie Wagner and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.